Hey everyone, welcome to this week's conversation with Dr. Stephen Ned about the body and how to fix, protect, or maintain it using outside-the-box alternative solutions. If you're a big fan of the pharmaceutical or surgical approach, you are so in the wrong place because on this podcast, we're not going to be pushing the conventional medicine methods or way of thinking about health. If you're looking for another way to live longer and healthier, join me, Ron Ned, and my brother, Dr. Stephen Ned, for this week's body chat about blood pressure. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas. My brother has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen into our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you health advice, so don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Steven Nett as a patient at his office. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, brother. So let's get into this topic about blood pressure. What is blood pressure? How is it measured? And what is it actually measuring? Blood pressure is simply the force of blood pushing against the walls of your arteries as it circulates through them. And it actually depends on three things. Okay. So the first one's called stroke volume, and that's the amount of blood that's ejected from the heart per heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's the heart rate, which is measured as your pulse. Mm -hmm. And blood vessel tone. And that's basically how clear and flexible your blood vessels are. Okay. So it's a combination of those three things. Now, blood pressure is measured with a device called a sphygmo manometer. Say that 10 times fast. (laughs) And it's usually done on your arm or on your wrist. And it's closely related to the force and the rate of the heartbeat, as well as the diameter and flexibility of the walls of the arteries. Okay. And then the two different readings are called, the first one is systolic, and that's the first number, and that measures the pressure in your arteries when your heart beats and blood is pumped away from the heart. Right, and that's the upper number. Yes. And then diastolic, which is the lower number, the second number, refers to the pressure in your arteries when your heart rests in between beats. Okay. So then what is considered normal blood pressure? What is currently considered normal blood pressure, according to the newest guidelines from the American Heart Association, and this came out last year in November, is less than 120 and greater than 90 for the systolic or the upper number, Mm -hmm. and less than 80 and greater than 60 for the diastolic or the lower number. Okay. So our normal reading would be any blood pressure below 120 over 80 and above 90 over 60 in an adult. All right. So that is considered the ideal normal blood pressure, but I know that there is a range that's even a little bit above that that isn't considered to be an issue. Yeah, we're going to go over that in a little bit. Right. Now, how many people are estimated to have low blood pressure and how many are estimated to have high blood pressure? So low blood pressure is also known as hypotension. Mm-hmm. And there's actually no figures up for this. I looked everywhere, but it's, I found that it's more frequently found in women, people who are thin, and those with smaller muscle mass. Okay. But as far as high blood pressure, which is also known as hypertension, there's actually about 103 million American adults, or nearly half of all adults, have high blood pressure, according to the American Heart Association guidelines. 
Mm-hmm. That's way up there. That is a lot. Yeah. Okay. Now, why is low blood pressure a concern? I mean, mom had that, and I've known other people that have had that too. So why is that a concern? Well, let me qualify this. First of all, when someone has chronic low blood pressure with no symptoms, their body is adapted to, and it's almost never a problem, and it's rare that there's any serious issues. Mm -hmm. But when blood pressure drops suddenly to a very low level, then the brain can become deprived of blood and oxygen, which can result in dizziness or lightheadedness, as well as nausea. There's actually different types of low blood pressure. There's actually four different types, and I wanted to go over those. Okay. So let's start out with a real common one. It's called orthostatic or postural hypotension. Mm -hmm. And this occurs when you go from a lying down to a standing position. Okay. And what happens is, you know, your adrenal glands produce a hormone that causes your blood pressure to rise when you stand up. And when your adrenals aren't functioning well and this mechanism fails, causing your blood pressure to fall instead of rise when you stand up, then you can become dizzy, lightheaded, have blurry vision, and even faint. And I'll give you an example of that. Back when I was down in Fort Myers, this was probably about 15 years ago, one of my patients, uh, her daughter was getting married. It was on a Saturday, and she brought her daughter in on a Monday. And she had fainted just previous to this, probably from all the stress of the wedding. And I checked her adrenal glands, and they were just shot from stress. Mm. So I checked her blood pressure lying down, and when she stood up, it dropped 40 points. Wow. It's actually supposed to go up when you stand up. Yeah. So I put her on an adrenal supplement to help her with the stress. And I told her, come back in at the end of the week, just before the wedding. So she came back in on Friday and her wedding was on Saturday. And I checked it and her blood pressure normalized because she was worried she was going to pass out at the altar. (laughs) So it turns out she was fine and she was fine after that. That's great. Yeah. There's actually other causes of uh, orthostatic hypotension. They include uh, dehydration, prolonged bed rest, Pregnancy, diabetes, heart problems, burns, excessive heat, large varicose veins, and there's various neurological disorders that can lead to it. So it's not just the adrenals. Okay. Yeah. And there's also quite a few medications that can cause this type of low blood pressure, including drugs used to treat, of all things, high blood pressure, Hmm. as well as antidepressants and drugs that are used to treat Parkinson's disease and erectile dysfunction. Wow. Yeah. So another type of low blood pressure is called postprandial hypotension, which is a sudden drop in blood pressure after eating. And what happens is that blood flows directly to your digestive tract after you eat to help you digest your food. Mm -hmm. And, you know, normally your body increases your heart rate and constricts certain blood vessels to help maintain normal blood pressure while this occurs. Right. Yeah. But in some people, these processes fail, leading to dizziness, faintness, and falls, And most people that are susceptible to this type of low blood pressure are people, believe it or not, with high blood pressure or Parkinson's disease. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. It is. Uh, Another type of low blood pressure is from faulty brain signals, which causes blood pressure to drop after standing for long periods of time. And this mostly affects uh, young adults and children and occurs because of a miscommunication between the heart and the brain. Hmm. And then finally, the most uh, rare of all the different types of low blood pressure is due to a nervous system problem, damage to it, and it's uh, due to a rare disorder associated with having very high blood pressure when you're lying down. Okay. Very good information. So that's low blood pressure, which doesn't seem to affect 
that many people because it's not even really reported. But for the one that is most reported, which is high blood pressure, how is that a concern? Well, again, um, high blood pressure is also known as hypertension. And the biggest problem with this condition is that it's by far the number one risk factor for the number one cause of death, heart disease. Right. And in addition to heart attack, stroke, and heart failure, high blood pressure can lead to kidney disease or failure, vision loss, sexual dysfunction, angina, and peripheral artery disease. And the, the problem with high blood pressure is that most of the time it has no obvious symptoms to indicate that something's wrong. And many people with high blood pressure don't even know they have it. And often the signs and symptoms are misunderstood. So it's something that develops slowly over time and, it, and can be related to all kinds of causes. But since it's a silent killer and you cannot depend on symptoms since most of the time there are none, it's really important to see your doctor regularly, especially if you have a family history or, or have other obvious risk factors. Right. And along these lines, it would be wise to invest in a home blood pressure cuff to monitor your blood pressure if you have had issues with it in the past. I like the wrist cuff, which is one size fits all. And you can get this at Walmart or Amazon for under $60. Mm -hmm. Omron is the brand that I like, and it makes a nice, accurate unit that I've used actually in my office for many years. That's great. Mm hmm now, what would be considered a dangerous level for blood pressure? So I'd like to expand on the American Heart Association guidelines that were set forth in November of 2017. I'm going to just summarize that chart, but I recommend anyone listening who has or knows someone who has high blood pressure to study this. Okay. So the chart is cool because it shows you normal and then elevated, and then there's different stages of high blood pressure. And it's good to know that because then you can kind of tell where you're at if you're on your way up to a dangerous level. And the real dangerous level is called hypertensive crisis, which means you should consult your doctor immediately, especially if you're not on any medications or even if you are on medications because you may need to have them adjusted. Mm -hmm. And this would be when your upper number, the systolic number goes over 180 and or your diastolic lower number goes over 120. Right. So that would be the dangerous level. Yes. Okay. And I wanted to go over uh, something along these lines as far as what ha happened in my office. At, uh, it was probably about 15, 20 years ago. So I had an elderly patient and she came in and she wasn't feeling well. And I says, well, let me check your blood pressure. And it was 220 over 160. Wow. Yeah. I was ready to call 911. And she said, well, no, 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 no. That happens all the time. Just do an adjustment. Let's see what happens. And I go, okay, well, my office was less than a mile from a hospital. So I was like, okay, well, you know, this will just take a couple minutes. So I adjusted her and believe it or not, her blood pressure dropped 60 points from both the systolic and diastolic. So it went from 220 over 160 down to 160 over 100. Right. Which is much better. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she was on meds and I said, listen, okay, I'm not going to send you to the hospital. I want you to go directly to your medical doctor and you tell him what happened and you have him make an adjustment on your medications. Right. And she was fine after that. That's great. Yeah. Okay. So what is the standard medical way of treating blood pressure problems, especially high blood pressure? Well, according to the American Heart Association, high blood pressure cannot be cured, but it can be managed effectively through lifestyle changes and when needed, medication. Okay. So 
I don't necessarily agree with the fact that it cannot be cured because I have seen people where their blood pressure has gone back down into a normal range when it was pretty high. So I, I think that's a pretty strong statement, but um, probably for the most part, most people's can't be. Okay. Now, the lifestyle changes that they recommend include obvious things like eating a well-balanced diet that's low in salt, mm -hmm. limiting alcohol intake, mm -hmm. being active regularly, physically, and so forth, managing stress, keeping their weight maintained, quitting smoking, taking medications properly, and working together with their doctor. Excellent. So I wanted to just touch on some of the blood pressure medications. There's actually 11 classes of them. And I wanted to go over the most common ones and leave a link for a reference from the American Heart Association that goes over all of them in detail. Okay, good. Let's start with diuretics. And what these do is they help the body get rid of excess sodium or salt, as well as water and help control blood pressure. All right. And they're often used in combination with other prescription medications. Like all drugs, they can produce some unhealthy side effects. I thought I'd go over those. Many of them reduce potassium levels, so it's real important to supplement with potassium if that's the case. Mm -hmm. And prolonged use of them has been associated with gout attacks. Wow. Yeah. And diabetics need to be alert to the fact that they can actually increase your blood sugar levels. Mm -hmm. And they've also been associated with impotence. Oh, not good. Yeah. Yeah. Strike three. Mm -hmm. Then there's beta blockers. And what these do is they reduce the heart's workload and its output of blood, resulting in lower blood pressure. Hmm. Yeah, and this is due to the fact that they inhibit the stress hormone adrenaline, and as a result, your heart beats more slowly and with less force. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not good affecting the adrenal glands like that. That's true. So... Possible side effects of beta blockers include insomnia, likely because they actually deplete melatonin. Ah. Yeah. They can cause cold hands and feet. They can also cause overwhelming fatigue, likely because they deplete CoQ10 levels. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like the statin drugs that we went over, remember? Exactly. That's what yeah. I was thinking. Yeah. They've been also linked to depression, slow heartbeat, symptoms of asthma, and impotence again. Oh, great. Yeah. Then there's ACE inhibitors. These are interesting. They, they help the body produce less angiotensin, which is a chemical that causes the arteries to become narrow throughout the body, but especially in the kidneys. Mm -hmm. And by reducing angiotensin, the blood vessels relax and open up, resulting in lower blood pressure. Wow. But again, these have side effects too, and those include skin rashes, loss of taste, a chronic dry hacking cough, liver damage, in rare instances, kidney damage. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing with ACE inhibitors is that women who are taking them for high blood pressure should not become pregnant while on them because they've been shown to be dangerous to both the mother and the baby during pregnancy, causing low blood pressure, severe kidney failure, excess potassium buildup, and even death of the newborn. All right. So then they should, if women get pregnant, they should probably see their doctor, I guess. And the doctor would put them on a different medication. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And then the last one I wanted to cover is called calcium channel blockers. And they are designed to prevent calcium from entering the smooth muscle cells of the heart and arteries. Mm -hmm. You see, when calcium enters these particular cells, it causes a stronger and harder contraction. So by decreasing the calcium, the heart's contraction isn't as forceful. Okay. 
And so calcium channel blockers, uh, what they do is they relax and open up narrow blood vessels and reduce the heart rate and lower your blood pressure. Hmm. But the problem with these is they can cause palpitations, swollen ankles, constipation, headache, and dizziness. All right. Well, none of those sound very good. I mean, some of the things you described as far as working on diet and going over things with their physician were totally fine. But as far as the medications, they don't sound that great. And I know one of the things that I had seen when I had looked up one of the medications, I can't remember which one, might have been a beta blocker, is mood changes in people. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you'd mentioned that in the list of side effects, but that was something that was in the list that would affect a person's mood or their personality. Yeah, beta blockers can cause depression. Well, this wasn't depression. This was actually something different than that. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. So that's the standard medical ways of dealing with blood pressure, especially high blood pressure. So what are some of the effective alternative methods for controlling or correcting blood pressure problems? Okay. Well, we're going to have fun with this because I found natural alternatives to all of the four types that we just went over. Oh, good. Yeah. So we'll start with diuretics and there's a ton of herbs and supplements as well as foods that right. are natural diuretics. Right. So let's go through the herbs and supplements. First one's called nigella sativa, which is also known as black cumin, black seed, or black caraway. Hmm. And yeah, and what it does is it increases urine output and in turn reduces sodium and potassium levels. Uh, it has a strong peppery flavor and it's used in Indian and Middle Eastern cuisine. Mm -hmm. Now notice I said that it also reduces potassium levels. That's not really a good thing. Mm -mm. So there's others that don't do that. For example, the hibiscus plant, which is also known as roselle or red sorrel, mm -hmm. and it's especially in the form of a tea. This also works as a natural diuretic, and unlike black cumin, it prevents the body from getting rid of potassium. Mm. Yeah. And of course, dandelion, taken as an extract in pill form or as a tea, can enhance kidney activity and increase urine output, making it also an excellent natural diuretic. Okay. Yeah. Parsley is so much more than a garnish as it also has excellent diuretic properties. Mm -hmm. Hawthorne, I love this one because we're going to hear about this a lot. It's taken as an extract or as a tea, especially using the berries. And this is a, also a very powerful diuretic and can reduce fluid buildup, which means it can also improve symptoms of congestive heart failure. Wow. Yeah. There was a 2014 study that found that horsetail extract had the same diuretic effects as prescription medications, but with fewer side effects. Wow, that's good. Yeah, so it can be a good alternative to prescription diuretics, especially if you've had problems with side effects from diuretics. Right. And then there's juniper. This has been used as a diuretic since medieval times, and it doesn't lower potassium levels like some meds do that we just went over. Hmm. And then the last two are really uh, interesting. Caffeine drinks, in particular coffee as well as green and black tea, are also effective diuretics. Mm -hmm. And yes, alcohol is a well-known diuretic that works by increasing urine output, but due to its many adverse health effects, it should always be consumed in moderation. Yeah, and it's not necessarily something that you would go, I need to do a diuretic, let me get drunk every night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. So I'll just uh, whip through the foods that are natural diuretics, and those include watermelon, grapes, berries, celery, asparagus, onions, garlic, bell peppers, bananas, which are a good source of potassium, but unfortunately they're high in sugar. Mm -hmm. And so uh, citrus fruits are also a good source of potassium. And to keep the sugar intake down, use lemons. Yep. 
Lemons is the one that I best know as far as a good diuretic. Mm-hmm. So a person can just add half a lemon or a quarter of a lemon to their water that they drink each day. And that would be an effective way of doing that. Yeah. It helps your digestion and your pH levels too. That's true. And vitamin C. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Let's go over some natural beta blockers now. Okay. This is an interesting one because there really isn't a truly natural alternative beta blocker. And according to one of the finest alternative cardiologists, Dr. Stephen Sinatra, He advises not to ditch beta blockers for a natural alternative. Okay. What he explained was that no supplement can replace the adrenaline inhibiting effect, but a fish oil supplement can be supportive because it will improve heart rate variability, which is the intervals between heartbeats. So an abnormal heart rate variability is an indicator of stress and contributes to cardiovascular events, including sudden death. Mm Mm-hmm. So beta blockers also improve heart rate variability. So fish oil is a good alternative as far as this benefit is concerned. That's good to know. Yeah. And Dr. Sinatra also stresses the point that since beta blockers deplete CoQ10 levels, just like statins do, and we went over this in the statins podcast in detail. Right. If you take a beta blocker, you must also supplement with about 200 milligrams of CoQ10 daily since CoQ10 protects against heart attacks, heart failure, and fatigue and helps keep the immune system strong. Right. And also, if you develop insomnia due to lowered melatonin levels while taking beta blockers, then you can take up to five milligrams of melatonin at bedtime, preferably sublingual. Okay. Yeah. And now let's look at some natural ACE inhibitors. Hawthorne, again, along with garlic, works just like ACE inhibitors to lower your blood pressure. Mm-hmm. And hawthorn berry also promotes blood flow in smaller vessels, uh, according to medical studies, and it also helps to ease angina and relieve congestive heart failure. That's good. Hawthorne is just a rock star when it comes to these things. And then calcium channel blockers. So the natural ones, again, hawthorn is also a good calcium channel blocker, but by far the best natural calcium channel blocker is, guess what it is? Don't know. Calcium's sister mineral. Magnesium. Yes. Magnesium prevents the negative effects of calcium excess, but unlike synthetic calcium channel blockers, magnesium actually enhances the activity of calcium by keeping it in solution instead of it building up in your arteries, kidneys, brain, and other organs and parts of the body. Mm. Yeah, and magnesium also happens to be an excellent vasodilator, meaning that it opens up or dilates blood vessels, which obviously also helps to lower your blood pressure. Right. And I recommend supplementing with magnesium instead of trying to get it in food because magnesium is one of the world's most depleted soil minerals, so it's not normally found in significant quantities in food. So you should take at least 400 milligrams a day of magnesium. Okay. And another excellent nutrient for promoting healthy blood pressure levels is nitric oxide. Mm Mm-hmm. Researchers found out its benefits about 20 years ago, and the Nobel Prize for Medicine was awarded to them in 1998. It's also excellent for circulation and is the main active ingredient in erectile dysfunction drugs like Viagra and Cialis. Mm -hmm. And as far as a natural remedy, beets are rich in natural chemicals called nitrates. And through a chain reaction, your body converts nitrates into nitric oxide, Mm -hmm. which helps with blood flow and blood pressure. Wow. Yeah. And there's lots of beet-based nitric oxide boosting supplements available, but my favorite is Neo40 which comes in a lozenge and works very well. 
Wow, that's great to know. So somebody can get that at just a regular health food store? I think you can get it online from various shops, get it from health professionals. We've sold it out of our office and it works really well. Excellent. All right. So those are some very good ideas people can check into. Now, before we end, is there anything else you'd like to say? Yeah, I thought it'd be uh, cool to go over some natural approaches for low blood pressure too. Oh, good idea. Yeah. Now, first thing I recommend is that people try this thing called Raglan's test. It's a great test for orthostatic hypotension. And remember, this is when your blood pressure drops when you stand up from a lying position instead of going up. Right. So when you're laying down, your blood pressure is at its lowest point because there's no gravity involved and it flows level with the earth. But when you stand up, blood now has to flow upward against the force of gravity to your head. And if your blood pressure doesn't go up, your blood won't get to your head quickly enough and you'll be dizzy and lightheaded. So this test simply involves taking your blood pressure lying down and noting down the systolic reading, the the higher number, and then immediately stand up and compare the standing reading with the lying reading. Okay. So the standing reading should be around 7 to 10 and upwards of 15 points higher than the lying reading. Mm -hmm. And if it drops, then you have orthostatic hypotension. And if this occurs... I always check for adrenal involvement. Remember the, the girl who was fainting before a wedding, you know? Right. Hers dropped 40 points. But it can also be due to dehydration, a heart condition, or even a spinal misalignment in the upper neck. Hmm. And the reason for this is because the vertebral artery runs through this area. It actually runs through the sides of the vertebrae and up around the top vertebra into the head, and it's responsible for 20% of the brain's blood supply. Hmm. with the carotid artery supplying the other 80%. So if that gets blocked, that can cause blood pressure issues. Right. Yeah. Okay. So as far as natural approaches, salt, one of the simplest approaches to elevating low blood pressure is just adding more salt. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's common knowledge that sodium or salt can raise your blood pressures, plus your adrenal glands happen to be sodium dependent. Mm. So when you're low in sodium, your adrenals can underperform And going back to previous podcasts, the best natural salt is Himalayan salt, the pink salt. Right. And Redmond sea salt, we talked about that from Utah, as well as authentic Celtic salt. But remember to stay away from regular table salt. So the the episode that we actually covered this in was uh, the water podcast episode number 31. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we talked about that at the end. Yep. Now, another good pointer is the fact that in some people, their blood pressure tends to drop sharply after meals, and we covered that earlier. Mm -hmm. So in this case, they should eat small portions several times a day and limit high-carbohydrate foods such as potatoes, rice, pasta, and bread. Okay. And as you know, those are no-nos on the plant paradox diet anyway. Exactly. Yeah. And people who have low blood pressure are often dehydrated, so they need to increase their uptake of filtered water too. And then finally, another really interesting tidbit is the fact that, you know, we learned earlier that caffeine drinks like coffee and tea are are good diuretics and can possibly help high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. But they can also potentially temporarily help low blood pressure since they can get your circulation going by causing a quick but dramatic increase in your blood pressure. Hmm. Yeah. So coffee drinkers and tea drinkers, you can use it for either. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I think green tea is probably the best of the three. Between coffee, green tea, and black tea. Yeah. It's loaded with really good antioxidants, too, for your immune system. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Great. All right. Very good information. Hopefully, this will help a lot of people. I will pass along one anecdotal incident 
a, a friend of the family who was having some problems with blood pressure and needed to not have high blood pressure for something that this person was doing and needed to do something about it pretty quickly and ate, I think it was four stalks of celery. And after eating the celery, her blood pressure just dropped right back down into a more normal range. And she was able to continue on and do what she was planning to do. And apparently that is something that is a way of handling blood pressure, especially on an immediate basis. So I'm not saying that this is going to replace any type of medical treatment or care or should be used in, instead of things, but it is something that can be done and can be used by people, or they could at least try it out and see if it works for them. Yes, and never, ever try to go off uh, prescribed blood pressure medications without consulting with your doctor first. Exactly. Don't, just don't go cold turkey. That is not a smart thing to do. No. All right, Steve, thank you. Next week, we're going to be talking about a different topic, but it's going to be more related to some of the earlier ones. We're going to be going into aspects of posture. And since we're dealing with a lot of spinal issues and musculoskeletal issues in some of our podcasts or earlier podcasts, we're going to look at the relationship between posture and those issues, as well as what to do about it and how to maintain better posture or improve your posture. So that's going to be next week's topic. Sounds like fun. Excellent. All right. Talk to you soon. All righty. Thanks for joining us this week on the Body Chat Podcast. We both really appreciate your time and your attention. We want to provide you with interesting and informative episodes each week. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer, send an email to us at info at bodychatpodcast.com. That's info at bodychatpodcast.com. To make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the Body Chat Podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. See you next week. <laughs>